0: Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for your great love. Lord, we have much to be thankful for this morning. God, and, and I just praise you, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to go the distance and to redeem us from our sins, God, and provide a great hope That one day we will celebrate the ultimate thanksgiving, Father, in your household, at your table, at your great wedding feast, Lord. We will celebrate in ways that go beyond our reckoning, Father. And we just look forward to that as we have a little taste this week, as we set aside a little time to thank you, God, for your grace, for your love, for your provision, for your atonement. God, in that you do all things well, and you judge all things rightly and correctly. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, th- welcome to the Thanksgiving service. So glad to see everybody here. Um, the title of this morning is, the, is A Tale of Two Thanksgivings. Or in other words, another sort of way to put the title, th- Thanksgivings in Two Parts all everybody in favor of having Thanksgiving in two parts yeah right on man Manny's with me Manny is with me all right so um we uh i think about what what are some of what are my favorite things about Thanksgiving and, and really what is the word Thanksgiving about it kind of a implies implies two things well what are we thankful for and who we who are we giving it to, right? What what is what thanks are we giving, and who's the recipient of that thanks? And and uh, I think you know, as a child, my my Thanksgiving was my mom's pumpkin pie. My mom made the best homemade pumpkin pie in the world. Just saying, okay, non-biased opinion, clearly objectively, the best pumpkin pie pie in the world, on and. She, you know, made the whipped cream that you make yourself from the heavy cream. You know, whip it all up, and it's just like, it's just heaven. It's just heaven on earth. And as a kid, the ratio of whipping cream to pumpkin pie is about 75% whipped cream, 25% pumpkin pie, right? And I always used to feel uh, aggrieved as a child if I visited somebody else's house or was someplace else for some reason. There would be this pumpkin pie with this tiny little you know, dollop of whipped cream. I'm like, oh, man, no wonder the world's, like, lacking on Thanksgiving. They don't have the cream, the whipped cream. So that was, that was my big deal as a child. And more as an adult, um, it's been our tradition until this very year, unfortunately. But uh, we would, Don and I and our family and Brandon our our grandsons, we'd, be, uh, we'd spend Thanksgiving together with Donna's mom. And as a family, her side of the family, we would all gather before dinner and get in a circle. And we'd all t- talk and share about what we're thankful for. And that would culminate in the Thanksgiving prayer. And that was usually my, brother, my brother-in-law, my brother Gary, or myself would, would give the Thanksgiving prayer. And it was awesome because we just had shared all of, as a family what we were thankful for, for that year. And, and um, you know, we're going to miss that this year. And, and both on I appreciate the invitations we 've had received for thanksgiving because we 're we 're missing our moms this year but um but that that 's been kind of the the thanksgiving for us and and uh, and it, I just really want to stay with that question what what are we what thanks are we giving and who who are we giving it to and and that 's why i say there's this is thanksgiving in two parts or or a tale of two thanksgivings. I think the kind of the big moment of, of probably everyone's Thanksgiving day is a prayer before, before mealtime. That's kind of the opportunity to give thanks to the Lord, right? And I've kind of made a study of that. There's all kinds of different types of Thanksgiving prayers. There's the, okay, we're going to starve to death and make it short and quick and let's eat prayer, right? Praise God. Thanks for the turkey. Let's eat. That, you know that prayer? I'm, I'm always, I'm up for that prayer, um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have what Donna and I loosely call the silverware prayer, or actually the way we kind of say it. She says it better than I say it, but the way we say it is a silverware prayer. And the silverware prayer comes from one time long ago we saw a video of this little girl who was giving a prayer, the dinner prayer, and she's probably, I don't know, six years old, seven years old, something like that, and her cute little voice, and she's going, Jesus, thank you for mommy and daddy and sister Sue and brother Sam and and thank you for my cat and my dog and thank you that we have green carpeting and thank you for this table and thank you for the plates and thank you for the cellarware and thank you. And she just went on. I just, this just went on and on and on forever. And and it's like, that's awesome, you know, to be thankful for all these things. That's, that's from a six-year-old, right? From the mouth of babes, it's... You know, the Lord loves that. So this morning, I just really want to look at kind of two elements of thankfulness. and, And one I think we're very, very familiar with, and it just comes second nature to us, and it's on the lips of each one of us as we give our Thanksgiving prayer. The other one is very unusual and very uncommon, and I doubt any of us have ever prayed this in our Thanksgiving prayer, but it is really just as essential to anything else we'd pray. So let's let's look at the text. The text is uh, Revelation 19. And it, just to kind of give you an idea that the reason I'm going here is, you know, we've been in in Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, and you know, Robert and I have kind of been joking a little bit like, okay, oh, yeah, another chapter of Isaiah, yet another teaching on God's wrath and judgment, right? <laughs> and and there's, you get these little messianic glimpses of hope, you know, that, oh, the, the Lord's going to provide salvation to his people. But meantime, things are tough, and, and the book of Isaiah, there's plenty of God's wrath and judgment in the book of Isaiah, right? And I think sometimes we kind of get the misperception that, well, Old Testament, God was this sort of angry, upset, you know, God who just wants to judge everybody all the time but then the New Testament God suddenly sort of morphs into this kinder gentler version of of himself where he just wants to be warm and cuddly and 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 hug give us a big hug right but that's not really what how the the problem with that conception of God is it doesn't match what the Bible says so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at both sides of this coin and it really reflects the The reality and the truth is that the the gospel is a two-sided coin, is it not? What does the gospel mean? Good news. Why is it good news? The good news presupposes that there's bad news. Salvation presupposes that we are being saved from something, right? It's a two-sided coin, and this 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 uh, passage we're going to look at will really go right into and dig into both sides of the the coin of the gospel and how it is we give our thanks to the Lord. So Revelation chapter 19 verse 1. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out hallelujah, hallelujah. What does hallelujah mean? Praise the Lord. The Yah at the end is a short version of Yahweh. Let's See that word right there on the wall? Yahweh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Why are they praising the Lord? What's so, what's so awesome that they're just shouting, this great multitude is shouting hallelujah. They say salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now we can all get behind that, yes? Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. But in this passage, in what way does salvation, glory, and power belong to our God? In this way, for his judgments are true and just. His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures filled down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. So this is a massive praise, thanksgiving, worship service to God in heaven, and they're praising him for his judgments, for his right and just judgments on the prostitute. Okay, who's the prostitute? Well, the chapter just before, the couple chapters just before, the prostitute is a symbol. It's an illustration of the satanic-inspired world system, okay? And really, it's... it's. It's Satan dressed up as false religion and ungodly government, okay? The the image in the previous two chapters in front of this is the prostitute is sitting on a beast. And the beast is, and both the prostitute and the beast are inspired, directed, empowered by Satan. And the beast represents this false world system that is ungodly and inspired by Satan and the prostitute is false religion. And just the, the whole allure of this world that constantly wants to pull us off and, and pull us into worshiping a false god, right? And that's where we've been this whole season in going through Isaiah as is God is bringing judgment on his people because they're worshiping a false god. And this is the final and the ultimate judgment on this demonic world system. And sadly, and in great grief, many people are caught up in that and become part of that judgment. And I think particularly as American believers, we struggle with this idea, do we not? When was last time you were at Thanksgiving dinner and someone was going to pray and they said, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your, your great wrath and vengeance. You know, we just ask that you bring more wrath and vengeance to us, God, as we celebrate this Thanksgiving season. Like have you ever heard that anybody here heard that Thanksgiving word? None of us, no. And we struggle with the idea of that. that. Even me saying it that way, doesn't that just sound like wrong in every possible way? We really struggle with that and and we kind of cope with it in kind of two ways. We kind of go two different directions. One is we just kind of we just kinda just skip over the wrath judgment parts and kind of try to downplay it and put it, kind of sweep it under the rug a little bit. Or we go completely the other way and we get this big giant banner that says, turn and burn, and go, we stand out on the corner and say, you know, God's wrath is coming, turn and burn. It. You know, I, I don't know. What, what is the message that you need, you need to get? I think you need to ask the Lord's wisdom on that. I'm not saying walk into your Thanksgiving service with a big giant banner that says, Okay, enjoy your turkey where you can, but you know if you don 't turn you 're going to burn i 'm not saying that, okay. Use judgment and be loving but but here 's the point. The point is, God does judge God cares enough to get passionate about his hatred of evil okay and I, and I just wanted to give us an opportunity to to kind of wrestle with this a little bit as we go into Thanksgiving in the context of all this all that, that we're learning about God's judgment. I think one, one way to kind of help, maybe help us understand this a little bit more deeply, I'm going to skip down a couple of uh, chapters to Revelation 21, uh, starting in verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Okay, this is all good news so far, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we're all in favor of that. Amen? And we should be. Who does not want that future for all of eternity? I sure do. Right? And that's what Christ has promised us for those of us who are called according to his purposes, for those who put our, our hope and faith in him. Let's keep reading. And he who was seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Okay, when the prophet goes out of his way, when the, the angel who's giving this word to John goes out of his way and say, hey, this is true, it means this is true. Okay. Absolutely, this is true. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. You know what? There's no way you can buy your way into heaven. There's no way you can work your way into heaven. There's no way you can be good enough to achieve heaven. It's beyond you. But Jesus, going to the cross, offered himself at great cost to us, so that we can enter in for free. Salvation is free to us; it cost a lot to Him. Amen. And then here's the big here's a big but, verse eight. But as for the cowardly the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, this is your future. I'm just telling you straight up. And does God take any delight in that? Is God's vengeance about some sort of sadistic satisfaction of being able to inflict harm on people? Absolutely not. In fact, he was willing to become his own creation, be born into flesh, be a tiny little baby, grow up and be rejected by his people and killed on a cross. Have a bunch of Roman heathen soldiers press a a thorn of crowns onto his head and spit on him and slug him in the face and mock him and pretend like, you know, he was some king, which he was, which is the great irony. As they're mocking him as, hey, hell king, he actually is. But he loves us enough to endure that, that we might have the free gift of salvation. But the flip side to that is you want to reject that? You want to mock Christ? You want to refuse Him? You want to resist Him until your very last breath? God judges rightly, justly; His judgments are right, and no one goes to hell that doesn't deserve to go to hell. And I know we struggle. I mean, a lot of us, I think, we get okay. The the you know the serial murderer, you know the. Hitler, I mean, yeah, I get it. Hell, that makes sense. But what about, you know, Joe Smith who's just next door and he mows his lawn every day and he keeps everything nice and trimmed and the bushes look beautiful and drives a good car and he's good to his kids. He doesn't yell at them or beat them. And how can that be fair? I'm just telling you, God judges rightly and correctly. And all of us, the great and the small are faced with that decision. As Mike said in his prayer, we are all faced with that choice, with that decision. And he judges rightly and justly. And we have a choice to make. Amen. So the first Thanksgiving is the Thanksgiving of God's judgment. God's wrath and judgment. And again, doesn't that sound strange to say, oh, we're going to give thanks for his judgment? But think about it this way. Just in that verse I just read, if heaven is a place where God is going to wipe away every tear, take away every grief, right? Repair every sorrow. That means none of this sin is there. And we're, the problem is, is we are all sinners. <laughs> We've all fallen short. We've all grossly sinned, whether we believe it or not. But Jesus has offered a a solution. He's offered a a way through. He's offered the hope of salvation. Let's look at that side of it, going back to our passage in in 19. Verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. Sound familiar? Didn't we just read that phrase? If you look at verse 1, almost identical the phrase, slightly different. Verse 1 says, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. And he talks about God's wrath and judgment, his right judgment. And then he repeats it. Kind of a mirror image. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. He is powerful. He reigns. He has authority. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that is the wedding you want to be at. You can miss every other wedding, don't miss this wedding. All right? The marriage of the lamb has come. Notice how the angel describes the the bridegroom. The bridegroom is a lamb. Why is he a lamb? Earlier in Revelation's in chapter 4, we got a vision of the throne room and it says standing in the, in the midst was one like a lamb who who was slain, who stood as a lamb who was slain. The bridegroom comes as a lamb because he humbled himself and made himself the sacrificial lamb for our sake so that we could become the bride. The lamb is the bridegroom so that we can be the bride. Look at verse um, midway through 7. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself. Notice that it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And what does that imagery represent? It means, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. All right, when you turn yourself over to Christ and you say, Lord, I, I agree with you. You are right and just, and you righteously and justly call me out for my sin because it's true, it's right. And I admit that. I agree with you. I confess my sin to you. And Jesus atones for that. He washes that. He cleanses that. Makes me think of the admonition Paul gives to all of us husbands. You ready, husbands? He says, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And then he goes on to say, well, how does Christ love the church? By cleansing her, by washing her with his word. So the lamb has come to clean his bride, to wash her with his word, and to atone for her with his blood. And it was granted her to clothe herself with, with the righteous deeds. Now this is what's really interesting, right? When we are doing quote-unquote righteous deeds that flow directly out of our love for Christ and our trust and our hope and our faith in him, is it is it us that are doing it or is God granting it to us is he empowering us to do righteous deeds? I think the answer is he grants it to us. He empowers us. There's no I've got, I'm telling you right now, I, I got it's I'm incapable of doing righteous deeds. Right? But every time I put my faith and trust in the Lord and the Lord's saying, okay John, this is the next step. Just take this step and I click God, I don't quite see it. I don't understand But I'm going to take this step the moment I just trust him with that. He accounts it to me as righteousness, and it's another pearl in the wedding dress of his church. Amen? So what are we thankful for for Thanksgiving this morning? Number one, we are thankful for his righteous judgment. His judgments are true and right and necessary. And he's going to create a new world, a brand new world that is filled with light and righteousness. And those who have rejected him, who have rebuilt him, those those that are operating even unknowingly under the power and the influence of Satan and his world system will perish, will be judged for all eternity. And we're also thankful that we get to have the feast with him, a feast that's going to go on and on and on and on forever, the great wedding feast. We will be his bride for all eternity. I was thinking about setting up a big Thanksgiving day table here and just filling it up and trying to like, make it a semi-spectacular Thanksgiving dinner. And I thought, even if we invested $1,000 in making the most beautiful Thanksgiving dinner in front of us, which I'd probably have a hard time selling to the rest of the elder team for you know one sermon illustration, but even if we could, it would be only a distraction to the reality this reality is so much greater that wedding feast that that dinner table is beyond anything any of us the most glorious norman rockwell painting would never come close to what we have in store for us with him as his bride verse 9 and the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb you think blessed yeah We are blessed. We are full. We are joy. We have every kind of happiness for those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Again, highlight. Hey, this, I just want you to pay attention. I mean, all these words are true, but I'm calling this one out in particular. This is true. And I think for some of us, we may still be sitting here struggling like, yeah, but Lord, I mean, wrath and judgment. But he judges rightly, justly. I think one of the reasons we struggle with that is because we see wrath, we see the wrath and judgment of other people, but it's not right. It's not absolutely perfect, righteous judgment. And so we go, Well, how God, how can God be like that? He's not like that. His wrath and judgment is absolutely right and true and just. And from the perspective of heaven, we're all gonna go, Amen. Yes, Lord, and amen. That is right. That is proper. But let's just be sure that our, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? And you can't work your way there. You are there when you put your hope and your trust and your faith in the Lord. And once it's written in that book, by the way, he is no way going to blot it out. You have salvation in him. You belong to him. You are his child. He's adopted you into his family, and you're going to be at every one of his thanksgivings. Dinners, meals, and I think they happen once a day at least, along with a wedding. Kind of picture the your best Thanksgiving meal and the best wedding reception you've ever been to, and that's like hardly not even hardly a glimmer. Okay. These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at His feet to worship Him. Gosh darn, John, he keeps doing this. What was the problem that that? Uh, Judah was in and getting all this judgment and wrath from God, their big issue was idolatry and Here we have an apostle who 's been presented with all this amazing imagery, this revelation of Jesus, and what does he do? He gets caught up in this in just this amazing vision and the joy and the beauty of it all, and he gets caught up and what does he do? He worships the angel, and what does the angel say? Uh, He said, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Okay, none of us are perfect. John, Here here we have an apostle of Christ, right? He he lived and discipled under Christ 24-7 for three years. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and preached a message, and all these people were saved. And he continued to live out his whole life as a faithful disciple of Christ. And even then, at this moment, at this amazing revelation, he bows down in an idolatrous way in front of an angel. None of, us are, none of us have achieved perfection. John hadn't received perfection, even in the midst of receiving this, this vision, this prophetic vision. Okay? So perfection is not the measuring stick. The measuring stick is whether is Christ. You're either gonna be measured by Christ or you're gonna be measured by your, by yourself. Which which way do you want it? I vote for being measured by Christ. Lord, measure me according to your son. I just receive that by faith, not by myself. So let's remember this this Thanksgiving, who we're worshipping. Who are we giving our thanks to? It's not, the, it's not the holiday that we're worshiping. It's not the turkey. It's not friends and family. It's not having the right spread and the perfect, everybody sitting the, around the table in the perfect way and making sure you've got all your kids exactly where you want them and, and, everybody, and everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. Are you worshiping that? Or are you worshiping God the Father who saved you? Redeemed you. That's who deserves our Thanksgiving. Amen. What's your idea of the perfect Thanksgiving? The perfect Christmas? And how much stress do you feel in trying to achieve that perfection? And miss out on the glory all around you of what God's shown you. The little those little opportunities to experience the, the grace of the Lord and the blessing of the Lord in a little six-year-old's prayer. All right. Let's be thankful for God's love, for his righteous judgment, and give him the glory and the honor this Thanksgiving Day. The very last phrase, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? For the testimony of Jesus is is the spirit of prophecy? This has to do with the idea that, look, you know what? When we speak the words of Christ, when we testify to who Jesus is, testify is such a religious term, such a even a Baptist religious term. We're headed to a Baptist church to use their church, so I'm kind of feeling the Baptist vibe right now. But, <laughs> but yeah, all yeah, right. So, so what does that mean? Well, it just means, you know, when you just say just – in normal language, say, you know what? This is what the Lord's done for me. This is why I love the Lord. This is why I serve the Lord. Because He's so loving. He's so gracious. He's willing to offer Himself. He's willing to take the wrath of the Father in my place. Remember what Jesus said on the cross. Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He took the wrath of the Father for us. Before all of that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was Jesus' prayer? Lord, if there, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Right? Because he's, he's doing a hard thing. He is taking our wrath for us. Father, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving? Are you thankful for your salvation? Are you thankful for the friends and the family that the Lord has put around you? Are you thankful for the right and true and just judgments of God this Thanksgiving? Shall we offer them our Thanksgiving? Why don't we do that now in worship? Lord Jesus, I just praise you. Lord, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that you have given us salvation And that you've given us salvation from your wrath, God. From your right and true and just judgment, you have saved us. Lord, we praise your name for that. We celebrate that, God, above every and all other things. Father, there are so many things in the holidays that will compete for our attention. That will ask us and even demand that we worship them. But Father, give us hearts and eyes only for you. God, that we can enjoy all your blessings and understand that the best turkey in the world should be something that rolls up into praise for you, God. That we would give you honor and glory, even that we have a meal to share. Lord, is, is, is an expression of your love and your provision for us, God. And so this Thanksgiving, God, empower us to make a declaration, to be a witness, to say, Lord, it's about you this holiday season, and I love you, and I'm not afraid to say that. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. In your Son's name, amen.